You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. Later in the program, WFHB sports correspondent Oni Afawako speaks to a local researcher who hopes his head trauma study will make high school football safer. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Fraud Newsreel on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. More following today's feature. But first, your local headlines. At the Monroe County Board of Health meeting on July 14th, Clinic manager Lori Terrell gave an update on the public health clinic. We have been working with the Latino population as an identified um, community group that we're working for wellness screening. Um, June got uh, 50 individuals coming to wellness screening for blood pressure A1Cs. Um, Unfortunately, we did see about a 90% return for pre-diabetic. Uh, So we're kind of looking at ramping up a little bit in some of our outreach, but then also looking at how we can do A1Cs and get them immediate results versus the lab process that takes a little bit of time and tracking them back down to give them the results. So we have purchased an A1C unit and we'll be starting that here in the next couple of weeks once we get everybody trained and up and ready for that. Um, We had both our COVID state vaccine site review and our VFC site review. Um, Both of those came back with very glowing results, no remedial action needed for any of the vaccine processes that we have. Uh, We are in the process through Zara working with Joe to get our back to school clinics scheduled. Uh, We are planning on the fall group to add in any immunization in addition to flu and COVID uh, because we know that there were a lot of kids who kind of got out of getting all their vaccinations in with the COVID period. So we're trying to help the schools by capturing those in their first school requirement days. Um, and then we'll, of course, be back there in the fall for the for the next rounding as well. Incoming Health Department Director Lori Kelly gave an update on COVID-19 rates in Monroe County. For uh, COVID updates, COVID levels are increasing across the, across the country, but um, numbers are really staying pretty steady uh, within the county. We haven't seen any big fluctuations. Health Department Director Penny Caudill added that Monroe County is in a medium level of transmission due to a slight increase in hospitalizations. Transmission's high, but it's not, you know, going up quickly. Yep, they're staying pretty steady. We've had a little bit of an increase in hospitalizations. That's kind of why we're at medium level, but nothing big. The board then continued to discuss the 2023 budget. Caudill explained that they analyzed the last three years' worth of expenses to see what the average costs were to help predict future expenses. She shared that the amount spent on fuel increased over the three-year period and that they could consider budgeting more for fuel in the future. 
we did go through and kind of look at what we've done over the past three years, kind of what's that average we've been spending, where are we at now? We were a little surprised by our fuel lines <coughs> and gas lines. Yeah, um, that was a little interesting. And I don't have a good answer for that. Maybe we're just routing things really well, right? The fuel line, and so that is for efficiency. Yeah. Two zero one zero zero. Um, we're we're on track. We're good. We're not looking to deplete that. If you look how we're trending, um, we could increase that a little bit. I know you talked, Dr. Pritchard, about wanting to maybe increase that. So we certainly could. That line is for our fleet vehicles. So the fuel line is for the county vehicles that we have. And they get fuel at the highway garage and we pay for that. The training and travel has the mileage reimbursement in it. So at this time, we don't have an increase in that line. Caudill also said that environmental health supplies saw an increase as well. The board voted to approve the 2023 budget with flexibility for salaries to increase. The next Board of Health meeting will be held on August 25th. In today's feature report, WFHB sports correspondent Onyi Afuako speaks to a local researcher who hopes his head trauma study will make high school football safer. We turn now to that report. Head trauma in sports like football has been a growing concern in the sports world. This has been partially fueled by the discovery of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, otherwise known as CTE a progressive brain disease resulting from too much head trauma. There have been numerous studies on the effects of head trauma in sports. For Dr. K. Kowata, a professor in Indiana University's School of Public Health, a $3.1 million grant he received in 2020 has enabled him to study the effects of subconcussive head impacts, impacts that do not cause symptoms like headaches and light sensitivity, on local high school football players from Bloomington High School North Bloomington High School South, Edgewood High School, and Mooresville High School. According to Dr. Kawada, awareness of CTE began when Dr. Bennett O'Malu published a paper on his findings with Pittsburgh Steelers football players. That was in 2005. Since then, close to 300 cases have been published and more have been diagnosed. When CTE first began to get exposure, it was feared that every athlete who played football had it. However, Coado explains that that is not the case. So the earlier study have tested on so many athletes who were concerned about maybe potential CT. That's why they donated their brain or family members donated their brain. But the truth is those brains were uh, biased in a way that it's deemed to find something wrong because parents and you know the spouse are concerned already something was going on with that 
person, including those healthy aging NFL retired football players, not just NFL, but the soccer players and the war fighters. They're healthy aging, die normally, and we don't see any CTEs. So the CTEs, we don't know the proportion, exact proportion of how many of professional athletes experience CTE. So that's one thing we should get that out of the way. So it's not like 100% of athletes will sustain that. But another important thing that we know is those repetitive exposures to head impact, whether that's a concussive force or a subconcussive force, they do play a big catalyst to this progressive neurodegenerative condition. That's kind of a common sense as well. If you hit your knee with a brick wall so many times, one, two hits, I think you can take it. But if you hit repetitively every time, even though that's very mild, the knee starts to bruise, the bruising becomes very chronic and a chronic inflammation hits. Same thing really happens for the brain as well. So the mechanism is, has been elucidated, so uncovered lately that those micro stress repetitively without enough rest, that can set the stage for early onset of this type of neurodegenerative condition. Parents have shown concern about the research on head trauma in sports like football. Kawada says that participation in high school football has been affected by this. It is declining. So the decline is consistent, not just the past couple of years. It's been declining over the course of a decade. And it's because of those media exposures and worried parents. But still, to credit of the great sports of football... The football provides large platform for a lot of kids to participate and to provide a you know platform for a physical activity and lower rate of obesity and diabetes. So the rate of football participation is declining, but still by far the most popular sports in high school and middle school football. I mean the sports. So football still plays a huge role in those kids. But I think the decline is because we don't know how to mitigate those injury risk. And we don't know the, the consequence of the risk. So that's why it's declining. And our study, this bigger study that we're probably going to talk about more, is the one to provide some sort of um, threshold of head impact exposure. What's safe and what's unsafe? And if you know that, cut off line. And that is a huge uh, benefit to parents and also players to decide whether how long to play football or when to play and what sports to pick. And we still don't know anything about it. That's why it's, uh, participation is declining. Kawada's research looks to find out what number of hits is safe for high school football players by using technology to track the number of subconcussive hits they take and measure the effects. Kawada first tested the effects of subconcussive hits in an experiment where he used a jugs machine to shoot soccer balls at soccer players' heads while they performed heading exercises. After 10 to 20 hits, Kawada's team saw differences in blood biomarkers eye tracking, and some balance measures. This showed them that changes were measurable. After soccer, football was the next logical step. So we applied that into football because football at that time was a really big deal. We're concerned about concussion, CTE, and maybe repetitive head impact. So 
we transition this laboratory model into this field human study. And then we tested in a collegiate level, Temple football. At that time, I was at Temple University in Philadelphia. And then we also applied this in uh, uh, high school in California. And we tested in Bloomington North High School football players. We had a sequence of data pointing to the very one single concept that if you sustain repetitively for a long time, well, many, many hits, the, all the functions that we test in blood biomarkers are synchronously getting worse. But not to the point of severe concussion or a car accident head trauma. It's not that bad. But it's just throughout the season, if you sustain that many head, in, head impacts, like 600 hits, sometimes 1,000 hits, and we've seen the decline in some of the you know, neurological functions and the biomarkers. And then that made us uh, propose an idea that, well, we need, this is a bigger problem. And it's not just a single high school or a single college football players can solve this. So we proposed a bigger study to the federal government, NIH, National Institutes of Health, proposing multi-site study. And in order to study how many hits are okay and how many hits are not okay, we did have to propose multi-site. It's not just a single school because each school has a different culture and different racial diversity, different coaching uh, philosophy. So we need we included multiple schools, end up with four. There are different tools that Kawada's team uses when compiling data. One is a helmet sensor that tracks the frequency and magnitude of head impacts. There's also a patch that can be placed behind the ear to detect head movement. According to Kawada, the best tools they have are special mouth guards with three devices implanted in them. First, there is a sensor that detects when the mouth guard is in use. This prevents any false readings. Then, there is an accelerometer and gyroscope to detect the direction of the force applied to the subject. And then those two different sensors, accelerometer and a gyroscope, and then they can detect a linear head motion. That's something that linearly, left and right, and also diagonal. Uh, the gyroscope, that's something that can detect the rotational force. And everything has, so accelerometer has three axes, XYZ axis, and the gyroscope has XYZ axis to literally detect every direction of the force applied to and which direction that trans transmitted and how much of the force went to that direction. So there is a lot of uh, nitty-gritty, you know, uh, bioengineer aspect involved. And that, that information can be compiled and the algorithm can detect what is the average force, magnitude, linear force and rotational force and a combined one subject is sustaining per head impact. We can quantify all that and also direction of the hit. According to Kawada, there are factors that cause an athlete to be at higher risk for serious brain trauma. The frequency and magnitude of head impacts is the most obvious. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention also published a study that found if a football player is younger than 14, they are at higher risk for brain disease down the line. Also, female athletes are said to be more affected by head trauma because their neck muscles are not as strong and stiff. Kawada talks about the kinds of effects he has seen while researching this topic. 
you sustain a lot of hit impact or really short time and you expose say 20 hits in the sequence of in a matter of five to 10 minutes. That's really a lot of hit impact impact in a short time. Then we have seen uh, the, the chemical that came from the brain cells, which if you haven't sustained head impact, that chemical should have stayed inside of the brain cells. But that's expressed in the bloodstream. That means the trauma happens to the brain and then blood chemical came from the brain, goes out of the brain, and then we can detect in the bloodstream. And that's, that has been repetitively shown in the studies. And then neuroimaging data. So we use uh, not just us, but other other scientists use advanced neuroimaging. It's not something uh, much much uh, sensitive than CT and or X-ray. So we can detect the microstructure of the brain cells, and for that we can start to see the the really subtle difference or subtle diffusion of the brain cells. So microstructural damage you can imagine happens once you sustain head impact consecutively for long term. Long term can be, you know, as short as a couple weeks to one season. We're, we're connected to multiple seasons, but that's one of the first initiatives. So we don't know the multi-season effect much, but we're going to find out. The study Kawada's team is conducting has just finished its first year. He did say that there is a correlation between practice intensity and the amount of head impact exposure. This head impact has been demonized a little bit, and I agree, it's not a good thing to sustain a lot of head impact. So NCAA has reduced uh, or prevented two-a-day. There is no two-a-days anymore in college football. And then they also minimized the days of preseason training camp from 29 days, used to be, and the 27 days. That right there was a little bit confusing results. So 29 days to 27 days, cutting two days of training camps. Maybe you might think it's just two days, but that two days, it's a big time. It's a big loss for a lot of teams. You have to prepare for the actual season, but that was to minimize head impact. But what happened in that study was even though days were cutting short, two days are no longer available, but head impact exposure stayed the same compared to 29 days, what it used to be, or some team head impact exposure went up by losing two days. What happened was probably coaches and the team itself, they're losing days. So we got to intensify each practice so that we can get ready in a shorter time that's available. And then so the head impact exposure went up. So that was exactly opposite of what NCAA wanted. And then we were thinking, well, this is not a good thing. It's not a good policy. What are we missing? What's missing is we're not regulating in what's inside of the practice. So we can cut down the days of the practice, but unless you cut down or scoping into the, each practice drill, you're never going to be able to cut down head impact exposure. According to Kuata, the purpose of the study is to learn how many hits are safe and how many pose a danger to players? There are a lot of answers, but the single answer is how many head impacts are safe and how many head impacts are showing to increase the, the impairments, so unsafe. That's the bottom line and the biggest theme of this study. So what's the range of head impact? If we know the range, we can 
stop or slow down certain participants or certain athletes, just like a pitch count in the college and Major League Baseball players. 100 pitch, that's kind of the cutoff line. And then that's to preserve their shoulder and then keep the health of the players. Same thing will happen eventually and hoping that this study will be part of the, the big policy that's going to be applied in the future. Until there is more knowledge about the effects of head impacts, Kawata recommends limiting exposure as much as possible and getting plenty of rest after exposure. For more information on CTE, visit concussionfoundation.org. For WFHB, I'm Onyi Afwaka. Up next, Fraud Newsreel on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host Richard Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Better Beware brings you news from the world of fraud. July 2022, social media gets more dangerous than ever. The Federal Trade Commission reports, quote, more than 95,000 people reported about $770 million in losses to fraud initiated on social media platforms in 2021. Those losses represent a stunning 18-fold increase over 2017, end quote. FTC figures show that fraud on social media more than doubled in just one year, and people aged 18 to 39 were twice as likely to be suckered as older adults. One-third of the losses were investment scams, but almost half involved trying to buy something that had been publicized on social media. Remember, these are just cases reported to the FTC. Many victims never report the crime. And in just this month alone so far, the Department of Health and Human Services has obtained 18 convictions for medical and drug frauds, resulting in fines and settlement fees of more than $15 million. The perps included doctors, lawyers, laboratories, pharmacies, and one Matthew James of East Northport, New York, convicted of stealing $600 million from insurance companies and Medicare. Mr. James awaits sentencing for conspiracy to commit health care fraud, health care fraud, three counts of wire fraud, and three counts of aggravated identity theft, he could face as much as 82 years in prison. And yes, Virginia, there really is election fraud. Arizona Republicans are jubilant, announcing definite evidence of election fraud in 2020. After an intense statewide investigation, they have proven that six felons in Pima County Jail somehow found a way to vote, and three women have been convicted of sending in absentee ballots for their recently deceased mothers. That's a total of nine votes out of approximately 3.4 million cast. 
And the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank, has published figures showing 1,365 proven cases of voter fraud nationwide, resulting in 1,173 convictions so far, but they do not specify which elections were involved. Finally, the FBI is reporting again that romance scams involving online dating are rising faster than any other category, jumping 80% in 2021 and now over six times what they were just five years ago. Today, it's much easier to go looking for love in all the wrong places. Stay tuned to Better Beware. We're not in print, but all the fraud news that fits in four minutes, we broadcast. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Onyi Afawako. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for cool solutions. Climate action from the bottom up. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at wfhb.org. 
You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 